It's great to be with you this morning, this holiday weekend. As we mentioned before, we know we have a lot of people who are traveling, and we especially appreciate our visitors on weekends like this, so thank you again for being here. I want to look forward a little bit. Uh, We're entering into a very busy time at Netherwood Park as the summer comes. More and more activities seem to be happening. And one of the things that's coming right up less than a week from today is our Vacation Bible School. That will be next Saturday. All day long, we will be here in Creation Camp. We'll have our kids going through various uh, stations, learning about the various steps of creation and, and what God has done for us and how he has created us and the world in which we live. And so I really need to solicit a couple of things for you. First of all is we need your prayers. We need for you to be praying that God will bless us richly on that day and bless us with, with all the people who are going to come and bless them while they're here. The second thing that we need from you is we need your children. Vacation Bible school without children isn't a whole lot of fun. Um, So, if you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or nieces or nephews that are in that age group, please bring them to be a part of Vacation Bible School. Neighborhood kids, any children that you have a relationship with, please invite them and bring them to Vacation Bible School so we'll have a full house here and we'll have a wonderful day next Saturday. So please do those things for us. Let's pray together. God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who allows sinners like us into your presence. And Father, we pray that you will give us a hunger and a thirst and a longing to know you and a hunger and a thirst and a longing to please you, and a hunger and a thirst and a longing to be in constant communication and communion with you. Father, this is our prayer through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. One of the things I forgot to do is to give you a Project uh, 6K update. For those of you who don't know, Project 6K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park in 2016. And we have challenged ourselves to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible as a body, as a church in 2016. And to date, we have read 4,026 books of the Bible, so another milestone has passed We are two-thirds of the way through uh, to our goal, and we are less than halfway through the year, so things are looking great. So please continue um, in your Bible study, continue to report the books that you're reading, and we're looking forward to when we'll be able to celebrate reaching our goal of 6,000 books read. Well, we're in the third week of a new sermon series, and we're talking about the importance of spiritual discipline. And we're talking about the value of incorporating various spiritual disciplines, various spiritual practices, various spiritual habits into our lives. And we're talking about being spiritually disciplined because we are determined to be a built-up body of Christ. We're determined to be a grown-up body of Christ, a trained-up body of Christ, a healthy and mature and fit body of Christ. And we're talking about spiritual discipline because our goal is transformation, spiritual transformation. Our goal is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
And that means our goal is godliness. Our goal is to be a body, to be a church that reflects the very nature of our God. Our goal is to bear a very strong family resemblance to our Father. So throughout this series, we're going to explore various spiritual disciplines, those different spiritual practices, those specific biblical habits that can help put us in a place where transformation will occur. We don't transform ourselves into the image of Christ. We know that transformation is the work of God. But we also know that we must prepare ourselves to be transformed. We must prepare ourselves to be transformed by putting ourselves in a place where transformation can and will take place. One of the ways that we're talking about and thinking about spiritual disciplines is that they are the work that we do to prepare us for the transforming work that God is going to do. Going to do on us and in us and through us. Spiritual disciplines are what we do to open ourselves up to the transforming work of God in and on and through us. But we've also recognized that that transformation and opening ourselves up to God's transformation isn't something that just happens. It has to begin with a hunger and a thirst and a longing to be transformed. It has to begin with a hunger and a thirst and a longing to know God and to please God. And it has to begin with a hunger and a thirst and a longing to go deeper spiritually. It has to begin with a hunger and a thirst and a longing that we heard King David express at the very beginning of our services in Psalm 63. You'll remember how that psalm started out. David said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. And spiritual discipline begins with that kind of desire for God. With a hunger and a thirst and a longing to know God and please God and to move deeper spiritually instead of running faster. So over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to talk about a variety of spiritual disciplines. And all of those practices that we're going to talk about, all of those practices have value for training and for equipping and for transforming. But not all the practices that we'll talk about are of equal importance. Some spiritual disciplines are foundational. Some spiritual disciplines are essential in satisfying our hunger. Some are essential in quenching our thirst. Some are essential in meeting our longing to know God. And they're essential in opening ourselves up to the transforming work of God in us. And today we're going to focus on prayer. And prayer is one of those foundational spiritual principles that must be in our lives. And we're going to see that a rich and deep and active prayer life joins with Bible study. The discipline that we talked about last week, it joins with Bible study as a truly foundational, truly essential spiritual discipline. So to help us talk about prayer this morning, I want to start out by asking a few questions. We're not going to do a show of hands, but I want you to answer these questions to yourself. First question I want to ask you is, 
Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Is your prayer life what you think it should be? Is your prayer life what you want it to be? And I obviously can't know how you answer those questions, but in my experience, I've found that very few of us are truly satisfied with our prayer lives. In my experience, I find that most of us hunger and thirst and long for a richer, a deeper, a more active prayer life. And in many ways, I think that's a very good thing. I think we should always desire a richer and deeper and more active prayer life. We should never be complacent in our prayer lives. But I think for many of us, the reason why we aren't satisfied with our prayer lives is because we know that our prayers really aren't very deep. We know that our prayers really aren't very rich. And we know that our prayer lives really aren't very active. And so we read in our Bibles scriptures like James 5.16, where James says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It's effective. I think many of us don't feel that James is really describing our prayers. We're not so sure that our prayers are powerful. Not so sure that they are effective. Do you feel like your prayers are powerful? Do you feel like your prayers are effective? And we read scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16 where Paul urges us to be joyful always and pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And I think many of us really don't feel that James is describing our prayer lives. We know that we don't pray continually. In fact, we're not even sure that that's possible. Do you pray continually? And scriptures like these and questions like these and even sermons like these can leave us just feeling weak and ineffective and shallow and guilty. Guilty about our prayer lives. I want you to know that's not my goal today. See, I don't want you to leave here feeling that way about your prayer life. I don't want you to leave here feeling like you are weak and ineffective and shallow and guilty. I don't want you to leave feeling that way. In fact, what I want to do is I want to give you good news today. I want to give you very good news about prayer. See, I want to reassure you that it doesn't have to be that way. Those feelings of weakness and being ineffective and shallow and guilty, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, I want to reassure you that your prayers are powerful. That your prayers are effective. And at the very end, I want to try to convince you that it really is possible to pray continually. And the reason that those things are possible is because help is near. In fact, help is very near. Listen to this good news about our prayers in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 7. Moses is speaking, and he asked this rhetorical question. He says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us 
whenever we pray to him? Well, the answers are obvious. The answer is is no other nation. The answer is no other people. Only the Lord our God is near his people whenever we pray to him. Why is that good news? Well, it's good news because it tells us that our God is approachable. And it tells us that our God is available. And it tells us that our God is accessible. See, we don't have to climb a high mountain to access our God. For our God is always nearby. We don't have to go to a temple or to a church building to access our God. For our God is always nearby. We don't have to go through elaborate rituals or wear special clothing to access our God. For our God is always nearby. We don't have to solicit the help of some religious experts to access our God. For our God is always nearby. And we don't need some kind of special language or special words to access our God. Because our God is always nearby. Our God is nearby. He's approachable. He's available. He's accessible. And that is very good news for our prayer lives. But that isn't all the good news. See, not only is the one that we are praying to nearby, so are the ones who help us in our prayers. They are nearby. Listen to this good news written by Paul in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Paul writes, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Then just a little bit later in verse 34, Paul continues on and says, Christ Jesus who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's very good news. Not only is our God approachable and available and accessible, the Spirit and Jesus Christ are interceding for us as we pray, when we pray. They're acting for us when we pray. They're pleading for us when we pray. They're petitioning God on our behalf when we pray. They're even interpreting for us as we pray. That's one reason why I'm so confident in standing up here and telling you the good news today that your prayers are powerful. That your prayers are effective. I'm confident in telling you that, not because you are such accomplished prayers. No, because you have the power of the Spirit and you have the power of the Son, Jesus Christ, on your side when you are praying. Our prayers are powerful and our prayers are effective because of the power of the Spirit. Because of the power of Jesus Christ. Because they are intervening for us. Our prayers are effective because Jesus Christ and the Spirit are working on our behalf. In fact, our prayers are powerful and effective even when we don't know what to pray for. Our prayers are powerful and effective even when we don't know how to pray. 
Because the Spirit intercedes for us and asks God for things we don't even know we should ask for. And the Spirit intercedes for us when things are in our heart that we don't have the words for. See, the good news is our prayers are powerful and effective, not because of who we are, but because of who our God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So as we seek a richer and deeper and more active prayer life, there's even more good news. And that's that God is near, but God also came near. God came near to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ taught us how to pray. And Jesus taught us how to pray both through his words and also through his example. I think we can all agree that Jesus had a rich and deep and active prayer life. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus, even in the midst of his hectic life, even in the midst of unbelievable demands on his time and his energy, even in the midst of all of that, Jesus always made time to pray. As just one of many examples that we could cite, we read this in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. See, Jesus taught us through this example and through other examples that children of God will make prayer a priority. Prayer will be a priority, even if we have to get up very early in the morning, even before sunup, even if we have to leave our houses to find a solitary place. Jesus teaches us that we must have the discipline to make prayer a priority. So Jesus showed us that we should pray, but he also taught us how to pray. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus taught about prayer this way. In Matthew chapter 6, I'll start reading with verse 5. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, Jesus teaches us the good news that our prayers have an audience of only one. We don't have to try and impress our friends when we pray. We don't have to make a scene when we pray. We simply need to be alone with our Father when we pray. Well, then Jesus continues on and teaches this. He said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Well, Jesus teaches us the good news that God isn't impressed by the sheer volume of our words. He teaches us the good news that our prayers should be simple. He says they should be simple because after all, we're speaking to our Father who already knows our hearts. He already knows our needs better than we do. 
And then Jesus continues teaching. And he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is on heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, Jesus is teaching that prayer is really quite simple. It isn't done for show. It doesn't require a lot of words. It isn't dependent on elaborate words or elaborate rituals. It's simple. But we know from experience it isn't always easy. So what Jesus does here is he gives us a simple example of what a powerful powerful and effective prayer sounds like, what it looks like. And it's a prayer that begins in adoration. It's a prayer that begins in reverence. Hallowed be your name. It begins in recognition and worship. Oh God, you are my God. You are the Holy One. Hallowed be your name. And it's a prayer of surrender. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I surrender all to you. You are the master and I am the slave. You are the potter and I am your clay. Your will be done. And it's a prayer of confession. Forgive us our debts. Forgive my sins. Forgive me for I have sinned against you. Forgive our debts. And it's a prayer of petition. It's a prayer of asking. Give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from the evil one. Provide me with my daily physical needs. Provide me with my daily spiritual needs. Put food on my table and keep Satan outside my door. Give us this day our daily bread and deliver us from the evil one. So it's a prayer of trust. Trust that God will provide what we truly need. In Luke's gospel, after he records this prayer that we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer, he then shares this teaching from Jesus. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 9, he says, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. See, Jesus also teaches us that we should be bold and we should be persistent in our prayers. He teaches us to ask and to seek and to knock. He teaches us that we can be both humble And bold in our prayers. He teaches us that we can be both humble and persistent in our prayers. And he teaches us that our prayers will be answered. That our prayers are powerful and they are effective. But you may be like me. You may be like me and not always sure what these kinds of prayers should sound like. 
I want to tell you, if you're not sure what adoration and surrender and confession and petition sound like, if you aren't sure what humble yet bold and persistent prayer sound like, I really want to encourage you to make Psalms your friend. Spend lots of time in the Psalms because there's no better place to learn what a rich and deep and active prayer life sounds like. Make the Psalms your friend. Well, I want to look at one more teaching from Jesus about prayer before we're done today. We'll be in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Jesus said this, he said, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus said this, he told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. No, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. And then in verse 13, Jesus says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up into heaven, and he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is more good news. See, Jesus teaches us that we don't need an advanced degree in praying for our prayers to be powerful and effective. We don't need to be a religious expert for our prayers to be powerful and effective. And we don't need an advanced degree because our God is more interested in the message he hears coming from our hearts than he is in the words that are coming from our mouths. And our prayers are powerful and our prayers are effective, not because of the powerful words we know how to speak, but because of our hearts that have been humbled. Our prayers are powerful and effective, not because we have words to justify and exalt ourselves, but because we have a God who justifies and exalts repentant and humble prayers. Repentant and humble prayers. And that's why I'm so confident that my prayers and your prayers are powerful and effective. It's because our God is powerful and our God is effective. The prayers of righteous people are powerful and they are effective. And the truly good news is we have been declared righteous. We have been made righteous. Not because of anything that we have done. But because of what our God has done for us. I love this scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Paul writes, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, 
That is good news. That is very good news. See, we can pray with confidence because of God's grace. We can pray with confidence because God has justified us. We can pray with confidence because Jesus' sacrifice has made us righteous. And the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. They are effective. Well, I said early on in the sermon that I wanted to end by trying to convince you that praying continually is actually possible. I'm not going to take long to do that, but I'm just going to try to do it this way. I think all of us are pretty much aware that one of the issues that many of us, if not all of us, have with prayer is that we tend to only go to God in prayer when we are in need. When we really need something. It's like when your kids are off at college and the phone rings and you see that it's one of your children and your first thought is, I wonder what they need now. And the reason that you think that, the reason that's your first thought is because that's the only time they call, right? It's when they need something. Well, we don't want to be that kind of child. But in one sense, that is actually the key to praying continually. See, if we will come to God whenever we are in need, I want to tell you, we will be praying continually. See, we'll be praying continually because we are always in need. See, if we have humble hearts, if we understand that our righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ by a gift of our Father, we'll recognize that we are always in need. We are always dependent. We'll recognize that we are completely reliant on God for everything that we need. So I want to encourage you, by all means, go to God in prayer whenever you are in need. And if you'll do that, you'll find that you are praying. And you're praying continually. So let us be individuals and let us be a body that embraces the good news of Jesus Christ. And that embraces the good news of prayer. Because those two things simply can't be separated. Because Jesus has redeemed us. Because Jesus has made us righteous. Our prayers are powerful. They are effective. And because we recognize our utter dependence on God, because we recognize that only he has what we need, let's be a body that's continually in prayer. What I want to do as we end this talk about prayers, I want us to stand together and pray together. I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together that we've talked about throughout this sermon. So if everybody would please stand. I know that we've memorized this prayer in a whole bunch of different versions, and that's okay. Just say it the way that you know it best. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And everybody said, Amen. And finally, I just want you to imagine something with me. What transformation is possible if we will transform our prayer lives? 
What is possible if we transform our lives? What kind of transformation will God make in our hearts? What kind of transformation will God make in our families? What kind of transformation will God make in this church? What kind of transformation will God make in our world? So let's be people who transform our prayer lives. Let's sing, let's sing to God together. Say.